You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Today on the Banners broadcast, we got a little split action Adam Kaufman joining us first to hit on the issues, the news, all the hot topics around the Celtics early this season. Then, in the second half, we're going to talk to Mike DePrisco, who hit on Joey Okafor's fit with the team, as well as the defense, and a little hot Roger Smart topic of conversation that's been floating around my head, so let's get into it. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, CLNS Media app if you're enjoying the show. If you want to leave a voicemail, 978-595-1744. Here's Adam as we open it up with Gordon Hayward. A little over the top. You know, it's it's a devastating injury. It, it was horrific to look at. It's sucks clearly that you know Hayward had to deal with that five minutes into his selfish career the first year of a four-year deal worth max money and now he's in all likelihood not going to play all year that door is not completely closed but again most likely scenario is Hayward does not play this year and so he has to watch and right now he can't even really watch around the team you know he has to wait uh, now that he's got the hard cast off and he's working on shooting out of a chair and stuff like that and he'll get involved with video work and whatever else working with young kids he'll in a couple weeks' time, when he can start to be around the team more, maybe attend home games, and then eventually start to travel, go on the road, and, and really be a full-fledged member of this squad again off the floor, maybe the attitude and, and everything will change. But I think in the early goings, it's been, it's been a lot of, I don't know, it's just been taken to a level where you almost have to remind people, like, hey, guys, it's, Gordon Hayward didn't pass away. Yeah. You know, he, he, <laughs> He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a horrible disease that, that, that is going to take his, you know, his life. He didn't suffer some career-ending injury. He broke his leg. Yeah. You know, you can break your leg doing anything. You know, you could fall and break your leg, which is trampolines. You know, what he did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hell, trampoline, skiing, like anybody. Like what happened to him, as ugly as it was, could happen to me, could happen to you, could happen to anybody listening. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that for, I hesitate to even say it took away his livelihood because he's still getting paid, but it took away what he loves to do for the period of a year. And for that reason, it sucks. It's yeah. not a tragedy, but it sucks. And so I, I think maybe the, the overall reaction has to calm down a little bit. And hopefully Gordon Hayward speaking this week for the first time with the media will, uh, you know, help soften that blow. But 
clearly the team <laughs> yeah, was... had to has moved on, and I think everyone else needs to as well. Yeah, him showing his face today in front of the reporters definitely <laughs> kind of reminded us all that he is alive. And we talked about that before, too. And, you know, what better team to give us a little bit of a perspective on that than the Celtics? And I'm sure we've talked about this at length now. How uh, you know this? This doesn't even compare to what happened with Reggie Lewis, what happened with Len Bias back in the day, and those are two prime examples for people who are a little bit older than me to show that you know this stinks, like you said, but it's not next level bad. It's not a tragedy, as you said. So absolutely. Well, like we said, there is. I'm not going to call it a blessing in disguise, but there is, as others have talked about, a silver lining aspect yeah. to it where. If you do have Gordon Hayward, yes, your ceiling is higher and you're that much more excited about how poor the Cavs have been out of the gate. You're thinking about NBA Finals and the Warriors months down the road already. But even if the ceiling isn't that, you are getting an expanded opportunity, an expanded view of Jason Tatum, of Terry Rozier, of Marcus Smart to a certain degree, of Daniel Tice maybe, of Shemi Ojale, of you know, all of these guys that have been thrust into larger roles than they otherwise would have had with a healthy Gordon Hayward. And there is some excitement when it comes to that when, when you see the results and when you see, obviously, the development, thinking about, man, this team could be pretty good this year, but it could be really good next year when Hayward's back. Yeah, so let's jump right into that. This team has been astonishingly good out of the gate. They got those first two games out of the way where it just seemed like they weren't ready. There was still the shock of that injury kind of seeping through in their play, I feel like. Uh, They talked about that as well as a team. And since then, it's been... You know, I don't want to say flawless, but it has been really good. The passing culture in particular sticks out to me. Uh, there's that joke through Twitter, through social media about, you know, Lonzo Ball and how much better they pass even when he's off the court. Brad Stevens, I feel like, fits that moniker. And you just see it through Kyrie Irving's play, um, through the rookies' play who have not been here yet. Uh, they look like they were here last year. A lot of guys who actually were not here last year. There was one play against the Spurs in particular where Irving just dumped it down to Horford. Horford had a pretty good look at a layup, but he swung it out again, got it back to Irving, and then inside again to Horford. And it looks like these guys are already passing in mid-season form. You know, you attribute that to Stevens, but... Yeah, how, how, how do you think it's just looked so good so early in this year? Well, you're right. I mean, there have been hiccups, but for the most part, it's looked crisp, especially in the last six games that they've won. And really, I mean, we could be talking about an 8 no team. Yeah. If, you know, and, and I say that even acknowledging the Hayward injury. I mean, the Celtics managed to come back from down 18 opening night against Cleveland and led that game in the fourth. They led Milwaukee the next night at home, back-to-back, back back, second leg in that fourth quarter with about six minutes to go. They went on to lose both those games. Then when they finally had a moment to breathe and practice and get used to the guys that were around them when everything they worked on throughout the preseason and training camp went out the window, they've gone on to win six straight. Not only that, but with the best defense in the NBA, which they possess. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that. I mean, the, the defensive efficiency, points per 100 possessions the last six games, is 91 and change. That's four or five points better than the second-best team, the Jazz. Their defensive rebounding has been number two in the NBA. So all of these things, coupled with obviously the passing that you alluded to and just the total team buy-in, which Kyrie Irving front and center has, has talked a lot about. It's not about individuals under Brad Stevens. It's about team. And if you can find your role, find your niche, buy into the interchangeability of the offense, depending on who's out there, yes, talents vary, absolutely, but... If you know your role and you can 
fit within this system well, and Stevens, as he has done with so many players, brings out the best of your talents and doesn't put you in areas where you're going to get exposed, this team can be really good. Yeah, they've beaten up uh, a couple of bad teams, the Kings, the Knicks, but they've also had some tough matchups. You know, they beat the Bucks. I think the Sixers, given that it was that third game after not having a practice skill, they were able to win that game. That's a team that, in my mind, in the East anyway, is a playoff team this year if they yep. reasonably healthy. And uh, so is, is the passing at the 86 Celtics level or, or the uh, spurs <laughs> of, of recent years? Of course not. But it has, uh, it has been something of a revelation that's come together this quickly. And uh, Irving deserves all the credit that he has been getting. He's, he's not the, the team leader. That's Al Horford, although he would say in many ways it's Marcus Smart. He's not the defensive leader. That's Horford. That's Baines. But he is far and away the most offensively gifted player on this team, one of the, the top offensive performers in, on an individual level in the entire NBA. And uh, it's all come together, and it's been really entertaining. So, Kyrie, I had a very murky expectation of him coming in. Uh, there was a lot of perceptions of him out of Cleveland, whether it was those first few years where they just brutally struggled as a team, or the later years where it's kind of him and LeBron going back and forth and how that worked out, that dynamic. Uh, something he has not wanted to talk about at all. But it's been different, and it's only a w- two weeks or so, two weeks plus at this point, but the defense has been there. There's been a passing emphasis with him, and even in the last few games, we're seeing him mix those two things with his just unworldly dribbling, finishing ability. Those two things I've said for a long time are as good as I've ever seen, and obviously I don't have as many years of basketball vision as some people do, but he is an unworldly talent in those two areas, and he's mixed it with the things that we have talked about being missing from his game. Is it just, you know, attitude seems to be the number one thing people point to, but I'm sure the system things that go into that as well, there's the LeBron factor, of course, but he just looks like a completely different player out there. Uh, I, I mean, I think there are a couple of different factors. Like you said, I think that, uh, again, attitude, total buy-in is, is a big part of it. And, uh, yes, he has been a willing passer and not nearly as much of an isolation player as he was in Cleveland when that was what was uh, basically asked of him or told of him or maybe there was a lack of guidance on the part of Ty Lu, whatever the case. Brad Stevens has been clear that, hey, we want you to shoot, we want you to get your points, but we want you to be efficient in doing so. We don't want you to put up 17, 18 shots and give us 24 points. You know, that's going to happen every once in a while, but that's not a good situation. What's great is what happened in this most recent win for them against the Kings where he had 22 points. I think he only took eight shots. I mean, that is crazy efficient. So he can do it at multiple levels. He can get inside, get to the rim. We know that. He can obviously shoot mid-range, he can shoot the three. The percentages, quite frankly, for him, while they've been much better over the last four games, are low on the whole compared to what you come to expect from him over the course of the season, which gives you a good feeling because it's going to go up. Stuff's going to level, you know, water's going to find its level. And, you know, the, the thing that, as, as good as Kyrie Irving has been as a scorer early on, and, and he hasn't had a 30-point game yet. I mean, he's, he's only averaging mm-hmm. uh, about 22. It's not like he's been Isaiah Thomas out there, what you saw last year nor has he necessarily had to be of yet. He hasn't been what he was last year in Cleveland when he averaged 25, 26 points either. And, uh, and, and the passing, while it's been fluid, the assist numbers are, again, kind of right in line, the five and change, almost six, that, that he'll generally get you. What I think has been incredible is the defensive side of his game. This is a guy that came in 
you talk about murky expectations. Oh, he's yeah. had the reputation of he's he's not a defender. He he's, he sucks. He can't defend. Well, I've long maintained that defense, as much as anything, yeah, you got to have talent, but it's size and it's effort. These are the two big things. This team is a better defensive team. It's a better rebounding team this year. Both of those things because of size and effort. When Irving is trying on defense, as he has been, and there's a reason he is the sixth best individual player when it comes to defensive rating behind Aaron Baines, who was number one, by the way, in the league, if you play minimum 19 minutes a game, and Al Horford, who I believe is number two or number three, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have Irving six, the top defensive point guard in the NBA through the first eight games of this year. He's leading the NBA in steals. He has been just tremendous on both sides of the ball. And uh, uh, all of the fears that I had about Kyrie Irving that, that you alluded to, among others, um, I'm not going to say they won't materialize, but so far they haven't, and that's great. Yeah, and that's the good point is that this is just the beginning. We're going to see where it goes. And that Spurs game in particular, I know they didn't have Kawhi, but that was impressive all around from the team that game. And uh, there's been moments where the youth have come through, and there's been many moments where the youth has come through this year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see because you know over the course of a season there's going to be those downturns for them. I thought that Spurs game was going to be that for them. But then the fourth quarter, all the young guys got going again. So we'll see what kind of load Kyrie and uh, Horford, too, have to take on if Brown, if Tatum run into some uh, rookie or sophomore year walls. Another thing I want to ask you on Irving is twofold the ss uh, smid comments that kind of blew up for a week and then, sure. <laughs> and then of course there's the flat earth stuff with him that just never ever seems to go away he has his explanation for it the social experiment that he seems to think is behind it but uh it, it's worn away at me at at, the, at this point i'm kind of sick of hearing about it it was funny it was cool to joke about for a week or two but is it ever going to end? Because I feel like at a certain point, I don't know how big of a distraction it becomes, but it does kind of wear away when that becomes a topic of discussion every single week, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, no, it's not going to go away. I mean, this is Kyrie Irving. You could see that from the, the moment that he and Gordon Hayward had their joint introductory press conference. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing about Kyrie that you know maybe annoys me a little bit. I'm not going to say it, it festers at me or anything like that because at least he doesn't always talk like this after games or when he's doing just generic interviews relating to the team and other players and, and everything like that. But the, the opening interview when he came to Boston, everything was very philosophical and metaphysical and introspective. <laughs> and it was, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't sound like a real human being, let alone the, <laughs> you know, 25 year old kid. And so a lot of the flat earth stuff and, and just trying to, even though he didn't say it, he displayed it in his own way, but almost some of the Rajon Rondo, like I'm the smartest guy in the room and I want you to know it behavior yeah. can be a little bit grating, but I, I'm not going to say that I'm tired of it because again, he's not doing it all the time. The flat earth stuff, you know, he'll do it in his you know, magazine interviews or the occasional radio interview, or whatever. If he's asked about it, he won't bring it up on his own. <laughs> uh, I think you just got to kind of tune it out. Don't let it get to you. Um, the far more significant thing, I mean, that's kind of meaningless. The significant thing, obviously, was the, you know, as, as you said, the reaction to the fan in Philadelphia there when he lost his temper when asked about LeBron James when he wasn't playing well. The team was 0-2 at that point. He had a poor shooting half. They were going to the locker room, and 
he uh, reacted unfavorably and was uh, really kind of unapologetic for it. You yeah. know, he owned the comment, which I respect. Um, I do as well. No regrets. And, you know, the fact that he had no regrets, though, that, that's a little disappointing because, um, you know, all these guys do get taunted, all of them, and you got to kind of learn to bite your lip, I, which obviously it's not like he hasn't been taunted since, and he hasn't said a word that we know about. Um, you know, clearly that fan was trying to trap him, which is the reason he was, you know, he was hoping to elicit a reaction to why he was filming it in the first place. You know, so nobody's a saint in this situation. Yeah. But I, I just think that, you know, in, in the big picture, my feeling at the time, the way that I talked about it after it happened was, you know, I think on a very small scale, things were kind of spiraling out for Kyrie Irving at that, at that time. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's so excited about the situation that he's coming to for – for weeks, for months, they're practicing, obviously, and, and all the hype is throughout training camp, preseason, into the year, and opening night against your former team. And, you know, you're, you're a team that has as good a chance as any to go to the NBA Finals. And uh, all of a sudden, within five minutes, you know, most people believe your season's over. They're counting you out, and you're not even going to be as good as, as last year's team. And, and you're the one that threw the pass that got Gordon Hayward injured, you know, yeah. fault or no fault. It's just the reality of, of the situation. All of a sudden, at that point in time, you know, it, it just eats at you a little bit. I'm guessing. I've talked to him about it, but I'm guessing it eats at you, and you just, you know, it, it, it manifests itself in ways that... Yeah, especially uh, on the LeBron should. front. The, the fact that it was LeBron in particular, and there were nonstop questions to begin the season about that, I think that in particular really brought out a boiling point about it. And, you know, that, unlike the flat earth stuff, hasn't lasted. I feel like that's fizzled the way the fine was handed out. He had his uh, unapologetic answer for it, and now it's gone. So I don't, I don't think there's too much more to harp on on that front. This season, we've talked about the defense, the passing, the success so far. Where do you feel like expectations are at this point? Because once Hayward went down, it did kind of feel like, all right, rebuilding year. And there was the immediate shock of that moment. And then you remember, you do still have Irving. The East just seems so up in the air, as up in the air as it's ever been. You have Detroit and Orlando scorching through these first few weeks. Cleveland is faltering right now, and we kind of went through that last year. You know, are they struggling? Are they just turning down the effort level? So it's always a conversation with Cleveland on that front, but the East as a whole just feels open again. So, you know, it's young players. I said earlier they're going to hit those walls at some point. It's going to be interesting to see how the team perseveres through those uh lows for those guys because they always do come it feels like but where are your expectation levels at for this team are they still a borderline finals team or would a playoff first round victory as a whole be a win for them no i mean you got to do more than win the first round of the playoffs and i think that what this team has shown you in the first few weeks of the year has has merited that you know mm-hmm. i think the initial expectations for people at the beginning of the year when everyone was healthy and at some point in time you were going to get Marcus Morris back was, you know, they could obviously get to the finals, but in the regular season, it's, you know, it's a 50 to 55 win team, you know, maybe a little bit better than that if they, if they figured things out right out of the gate, like the, you know, 07, 08 team or something like that, which was unlikely. Then Hayward goes down and all of a sudden people start thinking, boy, it's a, I don't know, 45 to 47 win team. And, and, you know, they may be the fifth or sixth team in the Eastern Conference. You know, for me, it was never a rebuilding situation. Like, they were never going to miss the playoffs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, to me, it was always still in that kind of 47 to 50 window because they got a lot of talent. I think they're still a deeper team than they were last year. Uh, the fact that they're longer and 
and stronger and more athletic than they were last year, even though they're not as experienced, was always something that I harped on. There's a reason I said coming into the year, and I wouldn't have told you, you know, first and first or first and fourth or wherever they rank in terms of uh, defensive efficiency and, and rebound percentage. Yeah, that is but, astonishing. But, but, but I said coming into the year, this team is going to be better on defense than it was last year when it was 12th. Uh, or, or pardon me, yeah, when it was 12th. And it's going to be better, uh, a much better rebounding team. It's going to be top half of the league than it was last year when it was 27th. You know, those, you could tell that on paper, let alone what we saw in the preseason, even without Gordon Hayward, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> and, uh, and, and again, we're seeing that, which is great. Should that alter your expectations? Maybe a little bit if it maintains. Like I said, it's still like in that 47 to 50 window, I think. But uh, could they get to the finals? Sure. They yeah. could if, if things break right, if they stay healthy, if the Cavs continue to be in, in just this horrible situation defensively and LeBron starts to kind of maybe check out a little bit because you know he's already bound for L.A. or whatever else, or old guys on that team like, Wade or Thompson just went down. He's not old, but he just got hurt or, you know, whomever it may be, Derek Rose, like guys get hurt on that squad. Isaiah doesn't come back being himself. Jay Crowder isn't as any number of different things obviously can happen. Yeah. Um, the East is fluid. It, it is up in the air. And I think the Celtics are, are still in that conversation as, as a team that could get to the NBA finals or could get to the Eastern conference finals and still, has kind of the same ceiling as last year, which is you have no chance of beating the Warriors. And that's just, you know, where life is. So one more question. I, I covered my first Syracuse basketball game. And nice. I, 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 turned, uh, I turned to my sports editor next to me. I was covering it with a different outlet. But I turned to him because the Julio Okafor rumors are swirling right now out of Philadelphia. And it's interesting because... With the Celtics, with the amount of flexibility they earned themselves, and this time they kind of didn't earn it as much as it was given to them through that injury, they have $8.5 million to kill right now on that designated player, or disabled player exception, rather. And with Okafor's name hanging out there, they're obviously right in the mix. There was one report that the Celtics would be the favorite to land him if he becomes available. And uh, we'll see. He's fighting for that buyout out of Philly. But, uh, you know, the, we kind of view him at this point as just damaged goods, like a completely useless piece who has no value. And when just a couple of years ago, this was the number one high school player coming into Duke, supposed to be a game changer before Carl Anthony Towns kind of took that role in that class. And now, you know, in the middle of things, I still felt like, you know, this guy just doesn't fit the modern NBA mold. I don't feel good about him. But now his value, or the perception of his value, just seems to have dropped so low where I can't help but think that if the Celtics buy low on this guy, Brad Stevens might be able to work another coaching miracle, and he has before. So how do you feel about Okafor maybe giving up a little bit for him? Not players, but picks, since they do have that exception. Or do you just wait for them to straight-up release him and see if they can get him that way? How do you feel about Okafor in general? Yeah, so I think I like Jaleel Okafor more than most people do. He is admittedly a dinosaur in today's NBA, which is awful to say about a 21-year-old kid, but he's a low-post presence who uh, can score, but he can't rebound and he can't defend, or at least has displayed going back to Duke that he can't do either of those things, which, again, I maintain is as much an effort thing as anything else, and his reputation is that he only works on things that are kind of good for Jaleel and doesn't work on other elements of his game like rebounding and yeah. 
defense, and that's that's a problem, obviously. But I do think at 21, I'm just of the opinion that can be coached India if you have the right coach, which he hasn't. All due respect to Brett Brown in Philadelphia. If you come to Boston, you play for Brad Stevens, and you're put in a situation where you're only going to see the floor, and you will see the floor yes. if you buy in and you you know you do what's good for the gander, if you will. Uh, then I think there's an extra kick in the pants. He knows that time in Philadelphia is over, and that they, I mean, hell, uh, there were a handful of guys on the opening night T-shirt giveaway, and he wasn't one of them. And this is a former number three overall pick. Yeah, you know, he, he's not uh, he's not someone that's part of their future, and they they are going to buy him out, which is why if I'm the Celtics, I'm not giving anything up for him. I mean, I probably wouldn't even get a, a second round pick for him. You know, which is amazing because two years ago at this time, you know, we're talking about. Boy, would you give up a Nets pick, a future unpredicted Nets pick? Oh yeah, that was, that was that was when I was like, no that way. A, but now, you know, yeah, I, I might give up a second. Though. That was a real conversation. Right now, I'd wait for them to buy him out, and not only that, I wouldn't sign him right away. You know, the eight and a half million dollars is significant, and there are going to be as the season moves along, you get near the trade deadline, and you know, into the winter, there are going to be some buyouts around the league in that buyout market. You remember it last year. Now, Andrew Bogut. Uh, while he got hurt right away for Cleveland, was one of those guys that people were really excited about. And there are going to be targets that, that come available that you're not thinking about right now that Danny Ainge probably is uh, on the buyout market that are going to be, you know, it'll be advantageous on the part of the Celtics to have more cash to offer than anybody else. Yes. Again, $8.4 million, not that they would give all of that, is nothing to sneeze at. You know, I heard Ainge on the radio uh, earlier this week and was saying that, one, we're not in a hurry. Two, you know, we, we kind of want the perfect player who doesn't exist. And so, you know, because <laughs> of that, because we want to, you know, we want a guy who can score, who can rebound, who can, you know, defend, who can do everything, you know, we, we kind of got to wait and continue to let this group figure that's it a, out. That's and, a very uh, good point. And, and they do have until know, so March to do, they do have until March to use that DPE, so there is no hurry, right. like March you said. Well, I believe it is. Yeah, and it, that's a very good point that I didn't think about with Okafor, is the fact that you would be spilling into that to acquire him, whether it was with the uh, salary matching or just signing him outright, because they are way over the cap at this point. So, very good point right there. Um, I, did, I forgot to pull that Syracuse reference in, because uh, my sports editor was there when Duke visited Syracuse, when Okafor was playing for Duke, and it's just it seems like so long ago now, and it really wasn't, where you know commentators are saying, if this guy just gets two feet in the post, it's over. And he dominated Syracuse in that game. And he was dominant in that season. So it, I, I feel like perceptions of guys can be built in situations. Hell, we just talked about Irving's perception before coming to Boston and how that has changed wildly in a matter of weeks. So I do really want to take a flyer on a guy who definitely does have that much immense talent in him. So we'll see where that goes. Bio does seem to be the route that's going to end up happening at this point because his value just is so low. But we'll see. So Adam, it was good to have you aboard today. Lots of good insight from you. And hopefully we'll hear you here again on this podcast soon. Happy to do it. All right. Good night, Adam. We'll be back with the second half of the show right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Second half of Banners Broadcast, episode 15. Mike DePrisco is back with us alone this time. We kind of had him as part of a little roundtable discussion. His first time on the broadcast, doing good work with the site. 
a few very important breakdowns from him this week. Okafor, who we just talked about with Adam Kaufman, as well as the defense and Kyrie Irving and just all the wild things that are happening with this team right now. Like I just said with Adam, it never stops. The stories just never stop running out with this team, which is good for us. Keep the podcast rolling. Keep the site going. So we're going to put you to the test right now, Mike, because... I haven't completely d- dived into the Okafor tape yet. I'm high on him, like Adam said. There is a concern that you dive into that uh, disabled player exception money a little too early. Maybe a better guy, a better fit for the team ends up coming up. But can you make the case that he is the fit for this team and he is worth spending that money on? Yeah, I mean, with, with the disabled player exception, there's a question of... Whoever they do bring in, does do any of them right now you can think of that have a higher upside than Okafor? I don't think. You can. He's 21 years old, and with with all his shortcomings on defense and shooting, and uh, you know he he has a rare skill and he can really score in the post. And I think that Brad Stevens has always found a way to utilize players' strengths. So I would. You know, I would go for it because he has a lot of talent on offense, and it'd be interesting to see how Brad uses that. We all worried about Irving's defense coming in. That has turned around big time. I'm going to hit on that in an article uh, in the next few days. But Okafor, you know, he's been a notoriously bad defensive player as well. Maybe in a new system, it gets better. But um, as far as his role will go with this team, I think the important thing is. And we've seen it in the past with Stevens is that he's able to keep players involved. You know, I think the big thing with Okafor right now is he's in a situation where he's not playing, where he was a top pick, and where he just isn't part of their plans anymore. So he's got to get out of there first thing. But the second thing, I think, is that he needs to actually see floor time. And with a team that's so predicated on spacing, with movement, with versatility, it does seem to kind of be a tough fit. So where do you think he would find minutes on this team? Yeah, I, t- I touched on it a bit in the article that went out today, and I, I see it as a situation where Stevens could use him as a specialist. You, He has so many options going small that I think if you add Okafor, he could just change directions, zig while everyone else is zagging, and throw him in there for one-on-one post-ups with the floor, floor spread out, where I think he could really take advantage of some teams that don't have good post defenders. And, you know, with Greg Monroe, he would kill the Celtics every game they played against us until uh, Aaron Baines came to town. So I figure Brad Stevens could use him against smaller teams and for five-minute, ten-minute stretches just keep feeding him the ball with shooters on the floor, see what happens. So you think that would be similar to the Greg Monroe role we see in Milwaukee? Because he went there for big money, and they've made it work. I've always been impressed with how they were able to get Monroe into the swing of things out there. Yeah, it's a guy who doesn't really have much of a perimeter game. He's just a big body that can get to work in the post, and they found a way to utilize that. I think there's, And the way that Okafor can score, his footwork, his finishing, I think there's going to be a place for him no matter what. It's just a matter of using him right. 
So let's move on to the defense. I feel good about Okafor. We'll see what happens. I don't think they're going to push a trade for them because we just know how Danny is at this point when it comes to value and getting the most that he can out of any situation. They'll want to get, sign him straight up, so we'll see what happens there. As far as the defense goes, the numbers are astonishing. Uh, I'm pulling them up right now. The Celtics are first in defensive rating, as Kaufman said to us, 95.1, almost a whole point over the Thunder, who are number two. And even more impressive, the defensive rebounding, which of course helps in that department. Their rebounding percentage on the defensive end is fourth in the league at 81%. So I think those two things are playing into each other because they're not giving up the second chance points they did a year ago. Uh, Last year, they were near the bottom of the league in that department. Now, they're only giving up about 10 a game, which is third in the league. So, improvements on both sides right there. I think part of it, as we know, is that Horford is in that position where he's more comfortable. Baines has made it really hard to not play him. We just talked about how they love that perimeter um, presence on the team. But even without it, he has mandated minutes with just how active he is on that defensive end. And uh, looking at his tape, I mean, his form is just so good down there. I mean, he's tapping guys. He's making them feel him down there. And then his arms go straight up when they go to make his move. It's pristine defense. I've been trying to learn from it a little bit. But outside of Baines, Horford, the switching ability of this team, there's so much that goes into it. But what do you think the biggest um, reason for it, the complete 180 has been? Because they really went from the bottom to the top in defense, at least for now. I think it, they really they really added length this off season. With last season, you had Horford; he's still there. But Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Amir Johnson, and the you know good defenders. Bradley and Crowder were great defenders, but they weren't that long, so they weren't as vers. I mean, Crowder's versatile, but Tatum and Brown add a ton to what they can do switching. And I think it just goes unnoticed with how they can switch Brown and Tatum up from guards to forwards and not lose much. Where last year, Bradley had trouble sticking threes, and Crowder had trouble with, with the quicker guards. So I think that also builds into the, the rebounding because they can crash more yep. successfully. Yeah, and there's a lot more height, too. The guards are taller. The guards yeah. are good at rebounding for the most part, I feel like. Um, Brown is an underrated rebounder. Tatum helps so much in that department. Watching him in college, I always thought that was the most underappreciated part of his game. He is a power rebounder. There's been a few plays where he has just knocked guys out of the way to get in there. And there does seem to be a little bit of an increased emphasis on it, too. I think it's inherent that that helps defense, getting those stops completed, not giving up those second-chance plays. Um, so Baines has been impressive Horford has really stepped up his game on that end as well the last thing I want to ask you is about Terry Roger who is just having a phenomenal season Uh, he's doing things I just never imagined him doing before there was a play last night as I was going through the film where he just turned the corner on a guy and hit this wild fadeaway shot on the baseline after creating a little space on the perimeter to start it the guy's got moves Uh, He is good at offense. He's shown it this year. Uh, It's been inconsistent at times, but it's it's interesting. They've used him a lot at point guard. Um, Marcus Smart has been up and down this year. They, of course, pushed his contract discussions back to next year. Um, Do you think there's a legitimate competition between these two? And do you think if Roger keeps rolling like this, it could make Smart more expendable at the end of the year? 
That's an interesting question. Uh, with you said Rozier, he's got all the moves. He's he's had the moves. He just hasn't been able to finish those plays off. And this year, he's he's done a, a lot better job of you know finishing layups, finishing fadeaways, just finishing off with a made basket. And I think it just goes with his confidence. He's more confident as a player, and it's nice to learn from a guy like Kyrie Irving too. But uh, in terms of that, I don't think it would make I'm trying to think. Maybe Smart hasn't been playing well to start the year, but I think they're just two different players. I think Rozier brings a lot of things that Smart doesn't Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So I feel that they can complement each other. They can, but when it comes to the contracts, the contracts really can't complement each other. And it's going to be smart, then it's going to be Roger. And this, we brought this up on the post-game show, and I see the faces you're making. It's yeah. tough because they it's obviously tough. don't want to lose smart. But if Roger just keeps getting better, you're going to get to a point where if you do keep smart, you're probably going to lose Roger. And if Roger just keeps getting better and better, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow at that point. And, uh, yeah, smart, I feel like, is a very important factor to what they do um the complexion in the locker room comes into play in that aspect uh that we just saw them overhaul the roster and Jalen brown had some comments about you know how things changed and how he doesn't really have an idea what this team is like so if you drop smart off after all of that i think that becomes an even bigger problem but it's something to think about because the luxury tax is coming up with this team if you add Smart at big money and then Roger at big money as well, because money is out there for these guys. Maybe not as much as we thought before, but this, this contract offers, I think, are going to come Smart's way. But, you know, is there a threshold on Smart where you would say no? Is, if he gets, say, $20 million a year, I don't know who's in position to buy that off the top of my head, but, you know, is there a price where you'd say no to Smart this offseason? I mean, I guess a max... The way things are going now, I mean, it's still a long season, and he did get hurt at the start, so you could say that he's still kind of working his way back. But I guess it would be a max that I would probably err on the side of no. But I, I've loved Smart from the moment they drafted him. Yep. He's he's special. I just think he's a key to what they're trying to do, versatility, identity-wise, just. He can do so many things, and I just wish his shot would get consistent <laughs> because I really do. We thought at the beginning of the year that finally was going to be, but it's been a lot of the same. And that's that's kind of my point right now is I think a little a friendly competition between these two is going to be good for the team. Uh, keep pushing each other, and it does seem to be happening because Roser has just gotten better and better as they've given him more ball time. And it's been kind of an interesting dynamic between the two. It's really what we thought those two were going to bring to the table a year ago, just a year later than we expected. So it's good for the team now. But as always, the better these guys do, the more complicated the discussions become later. So that's Mike DePrisco. A few good articles up from him at the site. So Celticsblog.com is where you want to check that out. Thanks for joining us tonight, Mike. Thank you. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. 